Good afternoon, or as we always say at this time, good afternoon. Oh, we're filming in the afternoon. Good this morning. is good morning, Tuesday morning. So anyway, welcome everybody to BDE, Big Digital Energy, the most important story of the week. Kirk, how the hell did you do at the golf tournament? The U.S. Senior, I'm not, I should, I mean, Senior Open, I, I'm almost scared to tell people because they're like, you're that old? I'm like, yes, <laughs> I am. It was horrible. Um, I didn't get out of the gates. I triple bogey my first hole. I had Steve how many putts was that? Uh, amazingly, only two. So you two putted, and it was a triple. short going, short game error or a driving error. No, it was neither. It was a uh, it was short game. Yeah, it was a bunker that was basically cement. It has been raining. It was a ton of rain. And I scold one over the back of the green into like a foot of rough and. That just meant trouble. But I did have Steve Elkington, the incredible uh, professional PGA Tour player that's won a major, his son on the bag. So I had an expert. He played golf at U of H. So I had all the tools necessary to be successful. I just didn't execute. Now, fair enough, I came in um, uh, hungover, and it took me 14 hours to get home the day before. So I'm using some of that as an excuse. Well, uh, you did post early before you got to the course that you'd stopped off for some gas station tacos as well. I mean, one, when in Pearland, right? <laughs> do what the Pearlanders do. It wasn't gas station sushi, <laughs> which would have been worse. But uh, I thought it was a damn good taco. Now, did it help me play well? No. So I'm, I'm going to give a little I, bit of blame. So what did you wind up shooting? I mean, I'm gonna that's put you not on relevant. the spot. It I'm, is relevant. Go ahead and tell us. A big number, big number. Three digits? No. Okay, dude, just I'm checking. A professional. I mean, I'm not. No, I'm an amateur, but wasn't that bad? All right. So, so I was looking for live scoring, but uh, who who ended up? Uh, it's top three. Two pros and then an amateur actually qualified. There's three spots. So there were some really good professionals in the in the crew that didn't qualify like me. So. <laughs> I'm just going to say that I beat a couple of those. So I feel like that's a good well, enough. Well, on the feel-good side of the PGA this weekend, you had one and an a live golfer win the championship and Brooks Kepka. but what was the other – real quick, what was the other feel-good story? Oh, it was, the, it was the professional. See, the PGA of America runs the PGA Championship, and the PGA of America is the teaching side. It used to be the PGA Tour and PGA of America used to be one unit. Then they split and they hate each other. So it's always good when you see an actual teaching pro not only compete, but he finished top 15, and he's the talk of the story. I mean, that's the story of the PGA Championship. And he got an exemption for next week to play in the Charles Schwab, I think. To Did play I see that? in Colonial, that's right. Colonial, okay, yeah. cool. <clears throat> Very cool. He started crying when he got the phone call. It was a great, it was a great uh, oh, video. Oh, hell yeah. I, I did see on Twitter this morning a little clip of the trophy presentation with Kepka, and I forget who it was. Which official uh, kind of mouth? The and president people, of PGA. Staff. People are liberating no handshake, right? We're not gonna. We're not gonna handshake. Well, he's on, also on the douchebag that was part of um, of Deutsche Bank when they were under severe allegations of of um, uh, moving money for bad people, and he's at the center of that scandal. So, like, he doesn't necessarily have the best reputation. But what he did to Brooks, if that is true. Is just unquestionably rude. Ah. All right, let's jump into some oil and gas. Mark, 
first up, Chevron buys PDC in an all-stock transaction. Um, uh, I saw a great line on Twitter. Somebody said, instead of a takeover, was this a take-under? Take <laughs> I mean, all-stock, 10% premium. Anyway, yeah, what do you, you think? What happened? If you look at, well, it's 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 kind of a an interesting contrast with the two deals that were announced this morning, much smaller one, a, a Bakken divestiture uh, by Exxon to Cord Energy, which we'll talk about in a minute. But you look at where the names were trading on 24 EV to EBITDA latest consensus, you know, Chevron's five and a half and PDC, even with today's uh, boost, I think it's up about nine, nine and a half percent last I looked. Chevron trading down 50 bips or, um, you know, flat. But um, PDC was trading it on that same 24 multiple, trading at about 2.8 times. So big opportunity. So is that the definition of accretive? Yeah. Or or buying the walking wounded. That that would get over that bar. It's a pretty big scale wise. I was a little surprised. It's, uh, it, at a billion barrels equivalent, PDC boosts Chevron's proved reserves by 10% and more than doubles its uh, its Rockies production um, on the order of, hang on a second. Yeah, because a little bit of a backdrop. 216,000 barrels equivalent a day, which well more than doubles what, what Chevron's legacy production yeah. is in the region. A little bit of a backdrop. I mean, PDC's kind of always been the walking wounded, right? But... You know, Kimmeridge went out after those guys in 2019, nominated three directors. I don't think any of the directors wound up making the board, but it was a nasty fight. A lot of things were said. Kimmeridge was accused of doing it because they owned the minerals underneath PDC. So there was there were allegations towards Kimmeridge of you just want the board because you want to direct the drill bit over here. Kimmeridge, of course went through the litany of errors that PDC had made through the years. And so anyway, I guess it finally got put out of so, its misery. So what is the quality of what Chevron's picking up? I, I think it's pretty good. I mean, it's Wattenberg. It's, it's got a good, certainly one of the other things that we were talking about before the show is something Chuck, you and I talked about on the Deloitte study deep dive, we can call that one a deep dive that was more than a blur. There, there we go, Vlad. Was one of the drivers that they had cited in that study was our company is going to be acquiring to improve their ESG profile. And if you look at the CO2 intensity of PDC's producing assets, uh, they are much lower than industry average and certainly Chevron legacy. So this is certainly helping on the ESG accretion. ESG accretion, you heard it here first. So that that was one of the high level drivers cited. I I I did go through and read the the prepared comments. They had a call at eight o'clock, I think Pacific time this morning. I missed the call in the Q and A, but I did go through the slide deck pretty quickly. Um, it's you know, it's a pretty big scale up. There's a hundred million or so in cited opex synergies and uh, four hundred million in in capex efficiency. So. Um, you know, stay tuned. I think it's I think it's just an interesting comment on you know where companies are looking to diversify, which is really what it was uh, presented as relative to what Exxon did with its divestiture. The, the other big point on this deal too is Rocky Mountains 
particularly Colorado, pain in the ass to operate in. Very. You got to have scale. You got to have influence with the government, et cetera. And so, I mean, we're going to, there's going to be one Rockies operator at the end of this. It'll that's, probably that's be, yeah. che- it'll probably be Chevron because they all just need to go away. Cause this is very much the sit down with the regulators. Where are you going to let me drill? Where mm-hmm. are you going to let me operate? And small guys just can't do that. And I, I had not, I think as Roger Clemens famously said, misremembered that Chevron didn't really have a legacy position in that area before the merger with Noble. And so it's, you know, it's a fairly recent thing for them um, in the region. And I do think that just given the order of magnitude greater permitting complexity and all of the compliance issues that you have to deal with in that part of the world relative to the Permian, for example, you're just going to need the the capacity and capability to do that. That's a big, big part of what people in that region spend their time on. Now, I heard a rumor that you were actually in the room or had some firsthand knowledge of this Chevron deal. No, no, let's 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 squelch that right there. Um, I I will say that it was an interesting uh, coincidence. I uh, you know I happened to be with um, a longtime friend of mine who is with Chevron, I'm not going to mention any names, that in the middle of a birthday celebration, Crawfish Boyle had to very innocuously go take a, a Zoom call on a Saturday afternoon. So my analyst antenna went up a little bit. Um, we discussed nothing of it. But then when I saw the news this morning, it was kind of a ha. Ah, yeah. There <laughs> so you go. leave it at that. It was, uh, it was, it was a fun little twist on Nice. On, and uh, I have to believe that an otherwise any, quiet any, weekend. any poor um, operator in the U.S., Chuck has his hands on it somewhere. So, Chuck, <laughs> you must have some knowledge of the PDC in the old days, right? You know, I mean, they were just – so this is the PDC story, right? They're trading at, call it $71 a mm-hmm. share right about now. So the good news is they're selling at almost their all-time high. The bad <laughs> news is their all-time high was 2008 when they hit $73 a share. So it's been a, been a bit of a, a ride for that. So speaking of another basin where we need one operator, we have the Bakken. Uh, Exxon is selling the legacy XTO assets there to mm-hmm. Cord. Cord. I still don't understand that name. I've asked a board member to explain it to me. And we talked for 25 minutes and I go, you didn't yeah, get an answer. Did I didn't you? get it. I still don't get it. Something about harmony and uh, strike a at least I it's not, it. at least it's not a pharmaceutical name. Um, <laughs> my two cents worth. So we would get, uh, when I was at Kane, we would get beckoned to, uh, what, what did you call it? The headquarters, the mothership, the mothership. We'd get back into the mothership of Exxon, not the Taj Mahal and Irving, but the place up in the woodlands. They had a Wolfgang Puck restaurant inside there that was always cool. So we'd eat lunch there and we'd chat with the M&A guys. And I I mean, it was seven or eight years of me sitting there saying, hey, our Kraken assets and your XTO assets lay over. You buy me or I buy you. Or maybe we just, one of us throws a number out and the other one buys ourselves. Just something. We got to put these two assets together course never uh, what happened never got anything done on that nice guys though the exxon team really sharp nice guys really like them a lot 
Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I can't imagine that asset within Exxon's attracted any sort of capital, just given the, the mm-hmm. economics and the, and the Bakken and Exxon has better things to do. So it makes a lot of sense to, to sell it probably feels like they sold it about a year late, you know, 18 months ago, might've been a little better. It's 375 million. Yeah. I guess it doesn't. And they didn't matter. take stock. I mean, yeah. it's kind of a. You know, next wow, on the wow. schedule. Next. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so. just, you know, you, you have some, I think, legacy knowledge in the basin. And we were talking about it a little bit earlier. Talk a little bit about, you know, the progression of technology and what you've witnessed or observed in the Bakken. Yeah. So, so we actually, when I was at Kane, kicked off the Bakken with a company called Lyco. And it was a great story. It was a guy named Bobby Lyle. And Bobby Lyle, literally had 50,000 acres in the Bakken, the sleepy giant field. And the only reason he had it is no one would buy it from him. I mean, he literally had overlevered all this. He somehow talked, I believe, Halliburton in to financing long lateral drilling. So he drills these I know long, the steel. He, he, he drills some long laterals. He fracks it. And back then, this is like early 2000s. It was a glorified acid job, basically. The the fracks were. And he created these monster wells. We backed wow. him. Uh, we wound up selling. Before or after you knew that the monster wells were going to uh, we, we backed him after like six or seven of the wells that okay. Halliburton okay. financed. We wind up drilling for two or three years. We sell to Interplus. And uh, that's why the former Mrs. Yates has a lovely house in West Jew. But hmm. anyway, but the, the key was he was able to drill kind of the, the long laterals. That was literally the only part of the Bakken that the glorified acid job would work on. We drilled some within Lyco. We drilled some wells outside that acreage, glorified acid jobs, and they didn't work. We claimed they were mechanical failures when we went and sold. But eventually they figured out the the big the big fracks. So the Bakken was actually at the front end of drilling these longer laterals. And they were kind of on the front end of doing these bigger, bigger fracks because you had a lot of private companies there. I'd say last six or seven, maybe even eight years. Yeah, you, you've gone to three mile laterals. But outside of that, you've you've figured out all the technology. There are no game changers left. So it's kind of been an execution. What is the price of oil? I'll know my rate of return. Can I drill cheaper type thing, which just not Exxon's cup of tea. That was an early kind of risk sharing uh, arrangement with Mm -hmm. a service provider. And I think the original structure was in something called Red Oak Mm -hmm. with uh, Bob Bob Rasmus and Jim Whipke, who were the founders of Red Oak. Yeah. That was a long time ago, but there was a Good memory. Uh, there was a kind of an, an execution-based incentive that would cap out at some ROI, predetermined yeah. ROI, and then it would revert. But um, that was back when all the rage was these service companies were like, why are the EMP companies getting rich off our technology? Let's participate. Let's too. become an EMP. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't, it never works out. Well. Yeah, you start drilling 10 to $15 million wells in the Bakken, and it, it, um, it'll make you swallow hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I was involved with a, another operator where we got some very small non-op, but then you start seeing the the pace at which some of this 
early development that was going and, and um, how much capital those small working interests actually consume. So. Yeah. yeah, no. So, and just as a reminder, Cord was the amalgamation of Oasis and Whiting, Whiting. coming yeah. together. And so, anyway, yep, there will be one. They'll buy Kraken at some point. I guess you got Hess still in there. Mm-hmm. And at some point, that'll... Uh, That'll go away. I guess Continental's still in there too. So anyway, all right. We got major ESG news and stuff I know absolutely nothing about. Exxon is mining lithium in Arkansas. Never didn't thought. You, didn't didn't you, have. Didn't, didn't you forward the tweet this weekend? You know nothing about it. I know nothing about it. Didn't have that on the bingo card this week in terms of things we'd talk about on BDE. But I mean, what's interesting about smack over it's people there's been thousands of drills of wells being drilled there by oil and gas companies and there currently is a lithium demonstration plant there that's that's um being run by a company called um standard lithium i believe they've been there since 2020 and then there's specialty chemical companies so there is an infrastructure there i think um what i read that it's actually um the arkansas government's very um is is promoting and want like easy regulation to make things happen they see it as an opportunity but why exxon you're an exxon guy why why exxon why are they getting involved in this shit well uh exxon has a um and i didn't at least either didn't remember it or ever know it they they had a pretty early um research level interest in in lithium and batteries back in the 70s in their research facility and in uh, Linden, New Jersey. I forget the name of the Bingo. scientist. Um, Stanley Whittingham. He won a Nobel Prize in 2019 for help developing a lithium-ion battery while working in this Exxon's lab. So who knew? Behind every great invention is a big, giant company. Well, co- <laughs> big, bad oil company. Co- coincidentally, the day before this announcement, I had the pleasure of listening to Darren Wood's keynote at the Tudor Pickering Conference Hutton Hill uh, last Wednesday, and I think one of the most um, eloquent and uh, to the point things he said to describe how to think about Exxon and how they think about their capabilities and what they are in this whole tug mm-hmm. of war between the, you know, the the transition or the fossil fuel opponents and and the legacy players and among the majors who have been under quite a lot of at least spotlight pressure um to address things it feels like, like it's our weekly topic right it is our yeah. it is our weekly topic yeah. topic but one thing he said i think sums it up really really succinctly and really well he said look we're a molecule company we're not an electron company and in this case they're an extraction company yeah this fits right into right? that strategy yeah. if if you take it broad enough yeah, and, and so just some thumbnail on the the lithium brine itself, which is really what the target is. Not knowing anything about the the specifics around the extraction process or the processing to extract the lithium from the brine, is that apparently this brine has a pretty attractive lithium concentration mm-hmm. of over three hundred parts per million. Uh, there's some Canadian data points and some Paradox Basin data points that are in the kind of half of that to a quarter of that or less. So, you know, hundred million for 120,000 acres deal was done with Galvanic, which I understand is a company that was 
built by some Chesapeake refugees. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, wonder if it's the same extraction or, or the uh, processing technology we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the salt and sea. The salty sea in California. And no wonder what the concentration level is comparatively. comparatively. Well, that was so side note. And I sent this tweet out with a with a picture. Our biggest fan, Vlad, actually goes on vacation every winter to the Imperial Valley and drives dune buggies through all the sand. So he spent tons of time there. So he's like, oh, my God, y'all talked about that area. He pulls the map out on his phone and we sat there for 30 minutes at Joseph's Coffee Shop. Him showing everything and where the lithium was and where Palm Springs was and this, the whatever sea stinks and all. It was it was kind of cool. You know, I couldn't. I don't see all your tweets, Chuck, because when you tweet a picture of you in your private jet, I keep going back to that tweet alone just to see the ratios because there's some good ones. It, it was so good being rich. <laughs> it was so much fun. I love that someone said like. I only know you in your jetless era. <laughs> Speaking of Richmond, he tweeted something, a photo. I got to know, what was the crane about? I don't know what the crane was doing. It was uh, it was down the street, and then I had to run and do some stuff with my kids, and by the time I got back, it was gone. But, I mean, it was a big, real-life crane. Dang. Yeah, it was kind of cool. So, well, well, staying on the ESG yep. angle, because, you know, being a former Royal Dutch Shell refugee, YL's starting to, you know, I, I worked in the, in the business unit. And I love unit. the first name basis. I mean, it's YL. I, like, I mean, I mean I he, he should just go by YL. There I you mean, go. Sawan is, while a good name, it, everyone knows him, YL, is I, I worked in a group that was not profitable and we just spent money. But it was cool. Well, YL is starting to, like, cut the fat because what what's rumored it's not been announced but both octopus and ovo who are the two best run retail electricity providers in the uk are buying shell's uk energy business and when i spent time in shell like knowing the team over there great people but shell basically bought hundreds of thousands of customers that were not profitable and wiles like we're cutting it so I think that's actually a good move as a shareholder looking at, you know, hey, this new energy's business is interesting, but if it's not making money, we got to cut it. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, ExxonMobil's the sort of like, if you ever want to watch someone that's never going to make stupid decisions and they're going to wait because they have a lot of cash to make good decisions, that's Exxon. They're letting sort of a lot of the European players move really quickly, but then with that comes a lot of, you know, bad investments. And this is probably one of them. And wasn't there a memo that leaked out of Shell basically saying in the renewables group, hey, we got to see returns or else we're not doing it? Well, I know that's definitely the, the yeah. word from the inside, but um, I haven't personally. Yeah, read that I think memo. I think a memo leaked out because I saw it bounce around on on Twitter, I think. So, yeah, no, so changes are afoot. The uh, while we're in major ESG news, the Glass Lewis response was great, Mark. <laughs> I, I will give you the joy of getting to say this because it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, there were there were several points from uh, a glass uh, response that that Exxon published. I believe it was last Wednesday, whenever May seventeenth was, uh, responding to Glass Lewis and some of these proxy measures um, related to you know asset retirement or stranded asset risk embedded in their portfolio because of 
you know, the, the, the time for those, uh, those liabilities and those obligations to hit as much sooner if you believe that, you know, the transition is going to be much more rapid. Uh, but basically, one of the things that was, in a, and this is a slight paraphrase in response to, um, in, in rebuttal, was that, you know, we don't believe that society is going to accept a reduction in the standard of living to get to net zero by 2050, right? So uh, translation is we're going to uh, extend the life of our legacy assets and continue to develop and exploit, even though we've said publicly as well, we believe certain aspects of the petroleum or the hydrocarbon complex are going to reach some level of plateauing demand like gasoline in the U.S. Right. I mean, it's only the top one percenters, especially I've, I love that woman from Stanford because she is so fun to retweet and to ratio. <laughs> but I was reading an interesting article in Bloomberg about a billion new air conditioners will save lives but cook the planet. So what's interesting is they have data on this. And it's like when, when, like the Philippines, once you pass sort of the, when the annual household incomes hits about $10,000, it's a tipping point where people start installing air conditioners. And when you think about the hottest parts in the world, would you rather live in, without the threat of burning to death? Or, or would you decide to not get an air conditioner because the rest of us are living in air conditioning, including the top one presenters? that complain about the climate and not get an air conditioner. So what they're saying is they forecast a billion new ACs because of the growing wealth. I just, I just love the punchline back. Society won't accept reduction in standard of living required by net zero. <laughs> I mean, Bang, mic drop. <laughs> mic drop. So I, I will say, and this was a long time ago, back in expat days, I played golf in Phuket on a short leave essentially in the jungle, hottest I've ever been. So when I reach that, if I were a resident there and reach that tipping point, first thing I'd be buying is an air conditioner. Hell yes. Oh yeah. No, it, it was by far, and I've been in some hot places. It was by far the hottest. I, I was in a golf tournament this weekend, not the, not the qualifier in Austin. And it was not as humid as Houston. And I, it was wonderful. Even though it was hotter. I'm like the la the lower humidity really does make a difference. Yeah. Damn. The uh, when you retire in New York City, you move to Florida. I mean, that's right. right. Everybody does that. So, what happened at the uh, G seven? Uh, not much, other than there was a little excitement around the, I guess, the official pronouncement or the official statement that really was a reiteration of what we talked about in the prelude meeting among the foreign ministers about natural gas and LNG. Is that okay? There's really a, a Russian focus to all this and the shortfalls that were a result of all the geopolitical shenanigans that have gone down over the last year plus. If countries demonstrate a need and those natural gas and LNG plans are, are consistent and country specific relative to their climate goals, then we're going to support natural gas and LNG. But it also in the unhighlighted part of what I saw, uh, continued the language about uh, not locking in to natural gas uh, structurally, which we've had a lot of discussion about is um, seems pretty obvious on the comparative emissions profile of, of natural gas versus coal and other biomass that, um, you know, that Europe toggled to during the, the latest 
energy crisis. So, I mean, the climate activists are going crazy. And I, there are a few of my favorite quotes from the G7 is Alden Meyer from E3G said, Germany's insistence on more public investment in gas and Japan's resistance to phasing out coal power generation undercut the G7 leadership at a time when it desperately needed. I mean, what are you going to expect countries to do? Like, hey, we're going to invest and be clean, but all you're going to die because we'll have no power and we're going <laughs> to start finding each other. I mean, it's crazy. Although yeah, not, not exactly related to the G7, but one of my favorite lines of all time was, uh, remember the real man's handbook, that, that book from the early 80, late 70s, early 80s? I remember the anarchist cookbook real where men, they taught you how to make well, like men, napalm Real men and don't stuff. eat quiche. That was the, the okay. whole thing. One of the greatest lines in there was, real men don't believe in the United Nations because all they've been able to do in the last 50 years is create a marginally attractive holiday card. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, that's just what I feel like every time we talk about the G7, the World Economic Council, all this. It's like, you know, I'm well, sure they've produced something marginally attractive, but whatever. Well, and you, you had a, a particular uh, follow on, on Twitter for me as uh, the head of the IEA who's, hasn't missed a photo opportunity to talk about, or at least caption, um, and, and put kind of clean and climate goals into any meeting with a foreign leader. He, he tweeted a picture of, um, of himself with, uh, the president of Indonesia and, you know, supportive of their efforts for a, you know, clean transition or a transition to a cleaner energy future for Indonesia. And then it, it, Harken thoughts of the story that we talked about that was in the Washington Post about the nickel mining and how most of the incremental energy and power that is being used in the ramp up in nickel processing and mining in Indonesia is from coal-fired generation. So there's there's always a, there's always a trade-off, I guess. Yeah. And, and 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 this whole. Not, not to get into the deep politics of all this, the, the louder the voices get from the unelected about going from leadership to borderline imposing policy, I think is, is just going to get more and more, and more of a, a, a point of friction in, in this Coupled, whole. Coupled with the cries of the science. Right. You know, so. We just, we just continue to remain on a fossil fueled collision course. That's I like what, that. There that was go. it. That was an activist. That was her quote. I was like, that's a great quote. We might use that here at BDE. So when the Beatles re uh, uh, recorded Revolution, which is my favorite Beatles song, the young Republicans of America claimed it as their theme song. So did the young Democrats of America <laughs> claimed it as their theme song. We shall use that quote on both sides of the argument. This show is on a fossil fuel Collision, Collision course. course. I love it. All right. We got two fingers of the week this week. Who wants to talk Nashville? Oh, my gosh. The graduate. It's terrible when you get, but you want to go to a nice hotel for graduation. And part of the reason is if there's a good bar, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I want a clean room. Sure. My wife wants definitely a clean room. But I'm like, it's the bar, stupid. Because when I get back from a party, what do I need? One more drink. Absolutely. And the bar at this hotel was booked the entire time, four days we were there. So I give them the finger of the week. 
So private parties, like you couldn't get in and private use it? Private parties. Oh. And this was a rooftop bar, right? A cool oh. rooftop bar. Yeah, which Dolly in Nashville, bar. Nashville is, a, is, is an extra special thing. Dolly Parton's bar. I mean, I wanted to go see Dolly. I wanted to see the Everybody the loves Dolly. And I wanted to get a cocktail after I've been drinking all day. And so I was Do you pissed. want to name the hotel? The Graduate. The Graduate. It's, yeah, it's okay. a chain. Got it. It's Got a it. chain. It's a high-end boutique chain. I've stayed in one in Oxford. but Got it. All I'm right. pissed. I'm not staying there again. So that's your finger of the week. My finger of the week, terminal E baggage claim at IAH. <laughs> so the girl, that's it? the girlfriend was in was in Europe for two weeks. Comes back. I'm picking up. Have you picked anyone up from there? Oh yeah. It's a shit show. I don't do it. You anymore. drive around, and what they do is you come out, and there's this long line and it and it's fences all the way so you got to walk all the way down to here and you can literally only pick up one person at a time and you got all these cars lined up and there you know when you go to terminal a or b you have kind of long line but people can just walk out so you can get in the car there are lanes you can get around so they do this if you dare get out of line the police are sitting there pointing at you and all it is the biggest mess on the planet. That's why I fly private, Chuck. I, know, I back when I was rich, I used to, but but not anymore. I I realized something before we end the show. Did did it happen last week while I was gone? We didn't talk about a country in Europe. Was have we been told by we, the girlfriend to stop? No, no the 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 uh, picking up <laughs> picking up the the girlfriend and being otherwise preoccupied kept me from deep diving a country. Okay, we did talk Greece. He, last he week. wasn't even able to blurb a country. Which I wasn't is able we're to blurb. We're not deep diving anymore. We're blurbing. And, and hold on, I did make one total baller move. So I pick up the girlfriend. We immediately pull over in the cell phone lot. I pull and? out. I pull out. <laughs> This is is this a is this for children or not? This, this is a PG thirteen rated okay, show, so okay. there will be no nudity. But I pull out a cooler. On ice, I have a Russian vodka. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a Putin simp, but Russians make good vodka, especially with with caviar. I have cold brew concentrate. I have a little Kahlua. I mix espresso martinis. Martini. I even Boom. have the coffee beans to put in as the garnish. Dude, that is baller. That was a baller. Total miss. baller. So I have an idea, Shaken, not stirred. Wait. So your your return odyssey was, was private? No, it was called... <laughs> uh, yeah, my private plane called Southwest Airlines, which goes to Hobby. <laughs> However, Southwest, we took off at 6 in the morning on Sunday. You know, my U.S. Senior Open qualifiers on Monday. I haven't been able to play it because it's been raining. 6 a.m. in the morning, at least I can go practice. We start circling around Houston because of all the storms on that Sunday. We land in Dallas, and then they don't let us off the plane. And then they take off right before the storm hits Dallas, and we start hovering around um, New Orleans, and I'm praying. I'm like, please. And I almost went to tell the pilot. Like, I, was, I was like, land in New Orleans because at least I could – have a great Sunday night. Dinner's be, on me. Dinner's on me. It'd be epic. Plane. But where did they land? They land in Austin. And they kick us off the plane. And everyone is like, all the Southwest areas are booked. So I decide, hey, I'm going to bus home. I'm not going to get a rental car. Because these, these nice buses. You go to Von, Von Lane? No, Von Lane was already gone. It's a new one, like red, red coach or something. So I book it. 
and they pick you up outside of a hotel downtown um, Austin. So I go straight to the bar and start drinking. Waiting on the bus. Waiting on the bus. And what there's, I a, and there's a bar realize, on the bus. Because I was sort of like in this euphoric, I've been traveling all day. The bus picks me up. I've had a couple cocktails. We go to San Antonio first. Had no idea. So San Antonio, then Houston. So nice. then I book an Uber from Katie because they drop off from Katie to pick me up, take me home. It was a 14-hour trip, but I did get home. So Nice. I, I think that explains the triple bogey on the first hole. I think so as well. I was out of it. That's, that's not an excuse. That's a reason. <laughs> that's, a, that's a reason. All right, everybody. Um, one note real quick. Uh, this week's Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast, will have Ken Hirsch on it, the former awesome. managing partner of Natural Gas Partners, the current oh, that's executive amazing. director of the Bush Center. Uh, fascinating discussion with him. He's obviously very bright. Um, if you like today's podcast, be sure to subscribe, be sure to share it with a friend and we'll see you next week and we'll actually blurb a European country. Peace.